You're listening to the Topco Business Unusual Podcast. Now, the Business Unusual Podcast. Learn from the greatest minds in business today. Interviews hosted by Ralph Fletcher. Learn how to improve business, get tips from industry leaders, and be motivated by real-life experience. Topco. Business Unusual. So welcome to um, Topco's Business Unusual podcast. Um, this has actually been a long time coming, a couple of months now, actually. Uh, a couple of cancellations from my side, from Louis' side, so you, you know we're both busy. But we've, we've made, managed to pull it together. So I've got Louis Boys here from the Delta Studio, and I think we're so excited to speak to you. It's like, it feels like it's going to be like a masterclass in innovation or startups. Um, so like we're, we're quite impressed. Obviously, um, sort of my introduction with you was I did that podcast with Sean Sanders from oh, Revic. Yeah. And I was like looking at you as a co-founder and then I phoned you up and I was like, hey, how's it going? And we got chatted about what you're doing and what we were doing with Africa Tech Week. And we sort of, I think, hit it off really well. And I said, ah, let's do a podcast because you've got so much stuff you're, you're doing. But I mean... Um, yeah, I, I suppose maybe t- take us to maybe the beginning of, mm. of, you know, where you guys are at as a Delta studio um, and, and how it came to be. Because, I mean, you've got some great things you're doing. And then maybe, mm. I mean, I want to go through as well, like we said earlier, like just go through, you know, your upbringing and sort of what got you to where you are as well. Um, yeah, so let's hit it. Sick. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks having me um yeah so i mean the delta is like a very difficult thing to explain sometimes but i'll give it a, a good go um yeah i mean it is my job to explain it so like i guess i should be good at this by now but yeah so the delta is effectively what you call a venture builder so a company that builds companies or tries to sometimes it can be quite hard um, and we do that kind of in a, a range of different industries and i think our focus is you know, more along the actual methodology of starting these ventures. So like internally in Delta, we actually go all the way from ideation, validation, through to kind of like UI, UX, product management, product strategy, like a dev team of about 60 now. Um, And then going all the way through to kind of growth, uh, marketing, growth marketing, all the way through to kind of operations and then fundraising. So inside Delta, you basically got all of the parts that are needed to actually take a venture from zero to one. And we kind of apply this in quite a few different ways, ranging from working with corporates uh, through to like starting our own ventures from the ground up and investing what's needed to get them through. And then also actually working with other entrepreneurs that bring like a slightly different flavor. Because you can think that like a business process and effectively what, what it is, is trying to replace what happens in the wild. I call it the wild effectively, where like founders kind of cotton on to this idea that's usually oh, quite super hard. Yeah, like the... I don't know, like, yeah. <laughs> I realize sometimes this analogy <laughs> might not be the best one, but like, this is what happens in my head, right? Um, so in the wild, like an entrepreneur comes up with an idea and I've been there like many times before, like I said, but like um, you come up with something, it's usually close to your heart. It's a problem you experience. It's like, you know, something maybe you've seen and you like pick it up and you start trying to like get the thing going, you start validating and all of these things. All the while you're learning different things and you're improving your skill set of ideation, your skill set of validation. Countless startup books will tell you like lean methodology, like do this, do that, all these things. So there's a lot of frameworks that help an entrepreneur build that process up, right? And if you think about it, most of what's happening in there, right, is effectively the entrepreneur picking up this IP or learning what to do and what not to do. So they... They like try, they try, validate, validate, fail, try, validate, validate, fail, try, validate, get it, and then start running a company. So you can think of Delta effectively as a business process, right? To try and kind of model the creation of those startups all the way from becoming experts in skills around validation, ideation, early stage kind of experimentation. Then you get into your product design and product building. So kind of in a nutshell, we were honing that particular process um which is yeah. just just different to like in the wild yeah 
Yeah, I think also the way I, I look at it as well is that so when you're looking at these processes, you're actually building habits. So each yeah. thing that you're doing, I think people don't realize, and habits are actually hard to bring in because you've got bad habits and you've got new habits. So you make it sound really super easy, Louis. But this, this shit is hard, man. Like you make it sound like, oh, no, we just do these processes. But it's not that easy. And reading books, and I read a lot of books, I think one of the issues is, is you can read something, but implementing that and learning and speaking to people and perfecting it and getting it to a system that works mm -hmm. and is effective is really hard. I think yeah. the other thing that I realized when you spoke before is that, you know, you've got these, these what you call you, you're bringing ideas or businesses up. Mm -hmm. But I also realized that you call it like products, which I thought was really cool as well. So you, you like actually building a product. And so you could have a company that has many existing products, but they need new products. So they need to reinvent their, their systems. Yeah. yeah. How so did you get that concept of that product idea going? Yeah. So it's interesting that you like, I guess maybe something, this is a pitfall sometimes when we actually work with people because there's so much loaded, um, how would I say kind of, context around the words you use venture like proposition startup it means something different to everybody but at its core really all of these things have effectively a value proposition and like you're trying to bring this value proposition into reality so you've got a customer persona you've got pain points you effectively have a solution which has benefits to address those pain points and then you like embody that solution in a product so effectively like that thing has features so technically that core is in the, in the middle of pretty much a startup. It's in the middle of a, a new corporate product. So like a bank can launch a new app and that still has to hold true. You can launch a proposition as part of a product, the feature that does that. So when we look at this, like the logical process of validating and testing, which is really the hard part of most of this, actually building is not that difficult. But the logical process and steps and frameworks and the system of validating that those four data points is effectively where businesses are kind of one like succeed or lose right or fail and like you could so we call it like that like complete mix as you say like you know the only difference between a product and a startup or a venture is particularly that the venture has a business wrapping around it as you mentioned so the way i kind of think about it in my head is like you've got three main layers, right? So you've got the development layer. So like you build something, right? One layer above that, you've got product. So effectively you're wrapping the ability to build something in some sort of value proposition. And product is usually around, this is the customer pain, this is how I'm gonna solve it. So you're kind of designing that. And then one layer above that is like venture, which essentially is this business has to kind of work. So you only ever develop when you need to build a product and you only ever build a product when you need to build a venture. So that's kind of your hierarchy layer. And that's why I think a lot of people fail when they're actually trying to build startup because they actually say, I want to build a startup. I want to build a new proposition or something. But then they say, what I need is a developer. It's like completely incorrect. Like the development comes in like right at the end when you know what you're doing. Before then, you are like mostly wasting money <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah, they say that, right? I think it's that, or well, we need to be a tech company or, you know, iterations of that sort of, um, and where do we get developers from to become a tech company? So, yeah. so, I mean, one of the things that you mean, you're talking about validation, and I think it's a big thing, right? Because there's a lot of books that tell you how to do the validation and make sure the customer would buy it and all that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. And it was interesting because when I spoke to the guys at Naked Insurance, they got a whole lot of people in a room and they said, would you buy this insurance? And they, everybody's nodding their head. And yeah. their advisor at the time said, no, no. Yeah. Um, make sure they either give you five references or they actually part with some money. Don't, they can't just be telling you verbally they're going to do something because people do that. What, what are some of the other things that you found in terms of the, the, the principles that you work against? Well, I've, I've found many times that people don't want to buy a product. <laughs> that, I, that I can corroborate. That is a great, yeah, it's a, it's a staple of startups. But um, so, I mean, you, you touch on something very interesting there, which is like part of that IP or that like knowledge where like, like you can read the book a few times, right? And you'll get it wrong a few times and like, okay, asking someone, would you buy this? Cool. And they say, yes. There's all of this like uh, the theory around how to design your kind of gathering of evidence against your value proposition to make sure that you're validated, right? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So like what we do is we take a very kind of a, a structured view of it uh, using kind of an evidence-based approach, right? So what you're actually looking to do in this whole process is you basically have this kind of pain point, right? A customer and the pain point. So the customer owns the pain points effectively. One funny thing is that most people are actually wrong at that level. Not that the solution solves the pain point, but that the customer doesn't actually have this problem. <laughs> uh, like, so you can be wrong at any level of this thing. So when you're working towards validation, you're effectively going on an iterative process of gaining evidence around assumptions. So effectively you're saying this customer has this pain point and my proposed solution is this and the product idea I have is this, right? At that point with the naked insurance example, they say, here's our idea. I'm going to go to someone. I'm going to ask them if they buy this. If they yeah. say yes, that is level one evidence. And there's five levels that we work with, right? So level one evidence is somebody says they'll do something, right? Mm -hmm. Level two evidence is effectively they act to do something, but there's no like, there's no buy-in. They maybe say like, okay, cool. I'll click on the ad or whatever. Like I'm interested. Level three evidence is effectively that they actually opt into something and they give you like a low amount of buy-in, like an email address. Now we're yeah. talking in that realm of market fit website testing, like, hey, leave your email address on the early sign-up. That's level three validation, we call it, right? Level four validation is like even more powerful and effectively has some form of a monetary like commitment, right? Or a bigger commitment. That is like very well done by like the best example I've ever seen is Tesla. By pre-selling vehicles before they've even built them, you're effectively getting level four validation that someone will buy this. And then level five validation is someone buys this. So if you are incorrect about what level of validation you're at with the assumptions that you've got, what you do is you do things that are further along the line that are more expensive that they shouldn't be. So our business process is effectively around like accurately identifying where you are in a value proposition and addressing the next one in the cheapest possible way and effectively building tooling that allows us to do the higher value tests at lower time and lower cost. And as long, mm -hmm. yeah, that's kind of where a lot of our, our work goes in and all of the like, like mental arithmetic and all of the mistakes as well, they go in there too. <laughs> I <Like> that part. <laughs> what was investment in your education or your parents, should I say, was yeah. by those assumptions, right? Yeah, um, that's true. <laughs> So, I mean, I, I saw there's like three things that you guys really focus on, right? So one was obviously that agile. And the second thing was making sure you've got a shit hot team. You hire good people. But it's also a big pain point, right? Because you're growing at such a fast rate. You're delivering products. You've got different skill gaps. You've got certain requirements. Can we touch on that for a second? I mean, you, I mean you've scaled, like, let's just put this in perspective. You've scaled from zero to like 100 products in three years. Is that right? Is it more than that? Yeah. Or is it so, yeah. so at the moment we're over a hundred people. Yeah, we've built probably around that many products. Venture-wise, operational at the moment, around 20 something probably. Um, so yeah, so I mean, it is, the pace of it at the moment is, 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 is quite tough to deal with. I think we're scaling at the moment at about 15% a month, which is like a little bit tricky. And to your earlier point around skill gaps, sometimes it feels like all we have is skill gaps as opposed to like a hundred people, we have these like resource management discussions or like we call them legend management discussions because we ended up realizing that like when you say resource, like you actually talk about people. <laughs> so we <have> these, <laughs> that's your main resource. Yeah, so we decided to call everyone legends, which is like great. So we have these legend management discussions where we like hire 10 people in a month and then like halfway through the month, we're like, where are the people that we can put on the starter? <laughs> It's like, it's, it's, it's crazy. And the, the number of things that you have to sort out during that scaling is actually like mind boggling, right? Even just the, the, um, the access or the, or the volume of people you're interviewing at one time and the processes behind that, it's, it's actually like a real challenge, even so much so that like, we're actually like on the verge of starting a recruitment company for ourselves which is a venture. So if we venturize it in our head, we like put it there, we're like, how does it have to do to succeed? And at the end of the day, the market, you start seeing where the gaps in the market are and things like that. So at the, at the moment, like we're really, really trying to like double down on kind of getting the, like the top talent that we can get into the company. And at the end of the day, it's not actually, for us, it's not actually that tough. I mean, 
like we're yeah. a company like a company that builds startups all day <laughs> like yeah. it's kind yeah. of like one of the hypothetically most fun things to do but uh yeah you would uh, the talent crunch at the moment is just insane yeah but i mean so i, I wanted to go in there because i think every good book will say the same thing right mm. just get the best talent but you're doing it and it's a bit like you know testing the product and you've given us some insights there i mean can you give us some insights in terms of sort of how you choose good talent and what what does good talent look like for you yeah um so I guess my opinion on that has changed over over a while but like for me what's incredibly important and I think this is often how I think of my role at the Delta is like my job is effectively to find ways for people who are talented and enjoy or are passionate about solving a particular problem and will get up every single day at 5 and go to bed at like 9 solving this problem because that's what they would do anyway like my job is effectively just to find a way for that learning and that like passion to be matched with something that will push the business forward or a business forward which is actually much easier for me than probably in other businesses because we have so many multitudes of businesses with different learning levels and different places to put people so when you find somebody good you basically you hire them on the spot because it's it's not like a normal business there will be a place for this person as long as you know, there will always be a place Like we're always under hire. It's a great. They say, uh, yeah, hire first and then find them the role, right? Yeah, like, and sometimes that's actually one of the things that I think gets us some of the top candidates that, like, I particularly think we've gotten for is just being very, like, I guess, strong with our convictions. If somebody is good, and you like hire them on the day, on the first interview, you're like, this, this will work. We'll see you on Monday. Like some of our best people, like one, one developer is named Rupert. I remember this. came for an interview and didn't have internet at his house and basically just stayed <laughs> from there. We're like, you can just stay, it's fine, whatever. <laughs> like, but like, so you have to really pick the chances where you can get them, right? And I think at the moment, something that like, I guess for me, that's like important with regards to talent. And I mean, there's so many books on it, especially something I read like recently is the no rules rules about Netflix's culture and like yeah. the, the concept of talent density and driving talent density. and realizing kind of at at scale yeah one of the weirdest things that happens is like you need to put you need to view talent density as kind of a like a measurement and you need to find all of the places where you leak talent density and all of the places where you can gain it and actually ensure that that part of the system works so hence where the recruiting agency comes so if you're doing that over time you effectively can keep kind of making sure you have high talent density and like the current like plan for us especially for like the goal next year is to take you know i think it's between we look at the number 150 uh ventures to post revenue next year is our goal so for us to do that we would need to be four four times bigger than we are now which effectively means that we need to find a lot, a lot of top talent between then and now um but yeah up for the challenge i guess If you need any property, let me know. Um, okay. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, we can't fit in our office right now. It basically houses uh, basically a table tennis table, which I'm pretty sure everyone just plays all day. Uh, go in the office, like, sure. <laughs> so, I mean, let's go back to Rupert because it's an interesting thing, right? So you've you've got this guy, you got it on the spot, but there's obviously things that he's ticking the boxes for. You you guys. are very clear in terms of what you want from this person what are those things those attributes or those principles that you're looking for from someone so you're looking for someone who's got passion who do it like for, no, for for nothing how do you demonstrate that how do you demonstrate that someone's going to do this yeah it's a bit of a i i especially when i interview like one of the things is like to mainly ask like and it's and it's another reason why like i'm i'm notoriously um I notoriously annoyed Denise sometimes our head of HR for putting job posts out with absolutely no like no structure like I just put a job post out with like a name ironically enough like Denise actually like applied to one of those like super <laughs> I'd like to just make that point now just for the record yeah yeah, yeah. Like, remember that remember yeah, that one point yeah because I find it kind of the principle is that you I find it naive that you can come up with an idea of what the business needs right without knowledge of the market of talent right the job spec go to market look see who fits this thingy that you thought was right and then basically find the people that are 
part of that and then interview them, you're already sub subdividing the talent out there. So I keep it very broad. And when I go into a meeting, I actually will ask somebody first, like, what would you do if you got to do whatever you wanted every single day? Like I've told you about Delta, like where in Delta does it seem like you would want to immediately come and do stuff? And usually you'll get an answer being like, you know what, I'm, I'm very passionate about figuring out how to do X or I would love to work on sustainability. And like, that's something I'm looking for. And like, you'll find, oh, I would like to set up, help you set up an impact fund. Like, what it, like you know, and like odds are like, because we're growing, like, not, like half the time that person ends in a different place of the business than when they actually started. In that. And I find that incredibly important. And like, what that means is that you you solve for the you solve for the issue of having to and I, I I'm actually quite like not relieved but I would say I wonder what other businesses are like sometimes because at Delta like our main problem is people burning out because people are put in a place where they're passionate and they're like we'll go the extra mile 99% of the time and other businesses where you don't have that like going remote I feel like it must be such a stress about like what are people doing with their time. Um, for us, if we get that, that hiring for fit around passion, right? The second thing that I usually look for is kind of comfort with uncertainty, um, which is a very tricky thing because it doesn't have to be that way for all different roles in Delta. So like the reason why comfort with uncertainty, and it actually is the namesake of the business Delta, which is the mathematical symbol for change. Um, I had another mathematical name for it before, which I won't go into, which was just terrific because no one got it. It was way too deep maths. <laughs> like everyone just thought it was very lame. Anyway, uh, what do they say? Don't let engineers name things. Um, but yeah, so I mean, they like, uh, for me, one of the big principles around why I think Delta has managed to be successful is because of our approach to change, as opposed to kind of avoiding the change. Like we're effectively a bundle of very uncertain things equaling a larger uncertain thing and like maybe slightly more certain than the sum of the uncertainties of all the things. And, and one of the things that is indicated like for me is someone who, who is going to thrive in that environment is someone who can say, well, the thing is definitely broken and I don't know how we're going to fix it, but like, what's the first thing we'll try? Whereas different viewpoints in different companies really are, are anxious about that and almost like kind of be like, it, the process needs to be done. You do need oh, yeah. that actually bring that. It needs that. to be fixed or it needs to be good before I work here or there's got to be this structure. So but, you're looking at people who want to fix stuff and happy to find something to fix. They've got to have that adaptability to... Yeah. Well, well enjoy like said, you have different areas of the business. So some areas of the business need to be fixed and need to stay fixed. Like you can't, you can't figure out how to sort out cash flow every single month. <laughs> like that's too risky. But um, the areas where you need it, where you need early stage kind of product strategists, like where you need people who are like, well, yeah, okay, that wasn't great. I didn't enjoy that. It was high pressure. We shouldn't have agreed to put that out at that timeline. Like the thing didn't work and like, let's do a retro and like, let's move on. Like that is uh, also maybe touching on another big kind of like big thing for Delta, which I think is one of our key values and which I kind of value tremendously coming from the startup space, which is like, uh, like grit. It's yeah. effectively like that ability to kind of just like stick it out when you really need to, because that's really where in my experience where the startups like really actually at last bit is like really gritty and you need to like make it through. So yeah, yeah. I would say that's kind of what I look for. And, and I mean, I'm just thinking because like we all make mistakes, like what, what is the one like big consistent mistake that you made with recruitment or people that you've changed or with your legends, you know? So what, what, what was that thing that you... <laughs> yeah. what, is the, what is the biggest legend mistake that we've made? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or principal legend mistake, you know, we've all, we've all made them. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I think it's an interesting question because I, like, I mean, I've, you know, I mean, I'm probably the main perpetrator of, of a lot of these mistakes, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but I, I, I chalk it down to iteration and testing. That's what I said. So I've yeah. done a lot of, I've done a lot of, uh, yeah. Um, I, I would say incorrect views are on certain areas. I think obviously early in Delta, like there were a lot of, a lot of like 
there's a lot of stability in development and product. Let's, let me put it that way. Stability in development and product is a department of the business because they're core and very well-known areas of like expertise for, for like, you know, there's lots of product agencies, there's lots of dev houses out there. You know, there's lots of experience to know how to structure something like that. So we got that, you know, and I was very involved with kind of our CPO, Alex uh, and Jared, uh, our CTO effectively, like, like early on and hands-on and working on things. So as we built out those areas, they were very stable, right? Since then, like as the business has grown, we've had to adapt these other non-uniform areas of the business that are unlike other businesses completely. So we've got like, now obviously the product and development area look very different to what a normal product agency will look like just because we work predominantly on startup. But there's like an area like the growth area, which effectively is like, Growth is like this, it's kind of like a buzzword sometimes, but it, in our world, it effectively indicates anything to do with actually distributing this venture or pushing it like to customers or anything like pushing it out. So you've got making and you've got growing, right? And they're supposed to be these two forces that work hand in hand because a product without customers is nothing and a customer without products is nothing, right? So as I've tried to set up <laughs> this growth area, <laughs> A few times <laughs> I, i'm on my i'm on my fourth attempt currently and um i think this one's gonna work i must say this one <laughs> I, think, I think this one has got it i've done i've yeah i've i've, I've I, and i think that was in principally just the incorrect view on the type of people we needed in that area of the business like i i i, I viewed my ability to drive business as something to model in the growth department, which was completely incorrect. And I made that mistake three times over. Like realizing- like Strength can be the company's weakness, right? Yeah. Leader, yeah. is often the company's weakness. Yeah, yeah, what do they say? Like the beginning you hired to fill your, uh, this is what I always thought. In the beginning you hired to cover your, your weaknesses. And then at the end, after like 50, 100 people, you like yeah. hire, like take over your strong point. And that was what I had in my head. And then I actually just realized that my strong point was only like one tenth of the overall skill set that was required in this area because it's such a diverse area. So I think there's cases where we've done that and we have gotten the wrong kind of people or the wrong kind of people and the people and try to get them to do something that they, were, they weren't going to be able to do. So I would say that's probably the biggest legend in principle mistake I've made. Um, I can't think of any others really. So, I mean, I mean, let's just pivot off quickly because I think we're running through time here and I, and I don't want to lose the opportunity to speak about you because I think what's interesting, whenever I do a podcast, I do a lot of research on someone. There's not much on you. So, you, you know, like a secret almost. And so I've, I've realized over the years that a lot of successful people, they come from um, quite challenging situations that, that have brought them. I mean, you're a busy guy. You're you know, you're, you're nonstop building this business. You've got all these products and, and often people are like, I look at that and I'm like, what is driving this guy? Like you said earlier, you know, what's your end goal and, and whatever. But I mean, you know, you, you're now working with your father. So that's showing, you know, that obviously family and mentoring is really important to you, but maybe go through some of that background that led you to where you sort of are or mm. some of the challenges that sort of brought mm. you around. Yeah. You're to Cape Town. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I've managed to keep under the radar for like <laughs> until now. Um, yeah, so I mean, I'm, as I mentioned, like you know, I think my background. I grew up in Pretoria, um, not a great place. Don't go there. Um, <laughs> I left as I left as soon as I could. Uh, studied engineering, then computer science, and like since probably high school, I would always be in some form of attempted startup. Um, I mean, yeah, many, many, like literally like a few a year, like at least five or six a year. And like, obviously all of them, like for most of them completely wildly unsuccessful. I mean, but like really bad, like from, like, I'm not going to go through some of it, but, but you do, you, you know, I realized, I didn't realize it then, but I was actually like attracted to just the, the, the puzzle of it, you know? Um, and as time went on, like. There's a saying that says that you eventually succeed at the things you like failing at, right? Because you're okay to fail at it, so you keep going. So kind of at that point, like I've been through quite a few different like like startups, um, effectively kind of decided at one point 
probably just after studying that like, you know, I was actually besotted with this whole startup concept. It wasn't ever really, in, it wasn't ever really for me the, the actual startup that I was working on. Like, I can't look back to like some entrepreneurs that they have like a burning passion. They're like, this is the problem I'm going to solve, right? Like, yeah. I can never think back and think of a startup like that and think that I, I, like I was invested in that particular, like particular problem. It was always just this puzzle. And I think as I finished studying, I, had the opportunity to go and study kind of a, a like a, a course at the kind of business school at Stanford overseas. I was going to ask about Stanford because I saw that and I was like, I think there's a lot of talk around like education versus skills and there's institutions and obviously you got your degree um, yeah. in science. And I was going to ask you, was that valuable to you? And would you, would you suggest that to other entrepreneurs to study like at Stanford and those sorts of entrepreneurial programs? I, I, yeah, yeah, I mean, I would definitely. My, my, the reason I did it is I, I kind of, at that point, like my, you know, my brain kind of works in mapping the overall space. And like, there was this like gray area where like, you know, like there's always this like hype and like, like, you know, Silicon Valley and all these things are like, they must be doing something fundamentally different. So in effect, it was almost like a pilgrimage to Mecca, right? So like I took the like the trip and kind of uh, yeah, like I don't know like the the, the like a like a worldview that you gain from actually doing it and seeing that over there people were applying exactly the same logic they were basically just applying it with more ready access to capital like, like otherwise read as capital frenzy <laughs> in Silicon Valley but like like access to capital, like great, like ground, ground base of skills. Um, and effectively just this very kind of like, uh, I don't know, glamorized startup scene, but actually at the end of the day, the maths was the same. The value proposition validation is the same. All of that's the same. Pretty much you're just building for kind of a different market. And like, I found it incredibly valued, valuable just to kind of complete the overall puzzle for me. Like at least, you know, when you start with a puzzle and you fill in all the ends yeah. and you're like, wow, this is the yeah, puzzle. Yeah. Like, yeah. and then the middle bit you can work on for a while. So for me, that was incredibly valuable and like really meeting quite a few people just from industry there and, and also people that I studied with in the program. And like, you know, you, you build up this kind of, I don't know, I think it was maybe more a confidence, like yeah. I would say actually in hindsight, more of a confidence. And then I decided actually to come back. And from there, I think every single business that I started or co-founded from there you know, like at least got to the point where we were raising funding and had like multiple corporate clients or had bank investors or had like, you know, been bought out by like a bank or so like you do get to the point where you failed like 40 times and then like nowadays, then like, yeah, so like my passion at that point, like as soon as I came back, like obviously got into two new startups, one in payments and then one in corporate communication and then ended up kind of, and I guess, as you mentioned there, like sometimes you have kind of tough times and certain things and like got to a point where I ended in like a, let's say like a, not, not in the way you want to end a startup, which is kind of like a, a large kind of dispute of sorts, you know, and I was very fortunate to have learned a lot of lessons around that journey very early in my life, I guess. And like, I guess in startup number, I was quite old, but in like, in like age, I was like 20, 24, 25. And uh, I think at that point, really, like, just completing more of that picture. And, like, actually, I remember this, the, the immense kind of pressure and stress that goes into, like, something that goes wrong like that. And directly after that, I, I kind of had this immense weight lifted off my shoulders. And I realized that, like, actually, you know what, like, life could be, or, like, you could, like, life could be so much worse. Like, you could literally, like, you know, there's so, so many ways and you're so privileged. And I just kind of like poured it all into just startups. And like, I, I, I remember that being such a flow space. And at that point was co-founding like two or three startups, which then eventually were the first startups that actually went through Delta. Um, and that's effectively how Delta formed. It was effectively a group of people that like had been added to this mix to build two or three different startups. And after a while, looking back at it, then I looked, I was like, wow, all of this, this machine could actually be used over and over again. And then I started cottoning on to kind of like why I ended up enjoying this, which is like, and we spoke about it a bit earlier, is that like, 
like that passion about like solving this particular puzzle. And I guess like, and people often ask me like, you know, like, I guess I like fast forward Delta like a bit longer where we actually building like up to 10 benches, like a quarter now. Um, and people ask me, like people will ask all entrepreneurs, like what's, what's the, like where does this end? And like, what's the vision and like all of that. And like, like be very specific about the end point. And like a lot of entrepreneurs I feel have a very clear thing and they're like, write it out. And they're like, I want to be at 1 billion, like whatever. Right. And like, I've never actually been able to articulate that one as to when people ask me like, why do I do this? Like, why did I end up here? Because I almost see Delta. If you think about it, like after that experience where I like just clean broke from what I did before and just did whatever felt right. Like Delta is effectively this like passion project that like this piece of art that I look at and I'm like, it's like really kind of like beautiful. And like, I, I realized at that point that like what I enjoy doing is grappling with that puzzle of startups, like, a, like, like that like intoxicating opportunity when you know the customer problem and you've got the solution, you're testing it and you get early feedback of evidence level three or whatever. And you're like, this is very exciting. And then you put the product in, you get that early traction. And for anyone who's ever built a startup and, and hit market fit and knows what it feels like when you start getting like, I remember like in some products you like, like the one day you're like, Oh, there's, there's 10 people. The next day there's like 300 people. And then the next day there's like, a thousand people and then you're like that feeling for me is like it's just like i guess i'm chasing that so i mean we also talked earlier um you know just, just about your journey and uh the startups i mean you did a whole lot of stuff with with sean as we mentioned and you and you've got some other initiatives that you've done um, is there any that sort of stand out that are the most exciting or is it just that, like you're saying, that journey of building Delta? Um, that was the one question. And I think the other one was there's a lot of people who maybe want to become entrepreneurs or working in a business and they're looking at you and going, wow, he started up all these companies. He knows what he's doing. Uh, he's an expert, right? <laughs> and, and we were talking earlier and it's oh. like, I was saying, there's a friend of mine who went to the UK and he wrote a post and he said, it's his, it was his 35th birthday. And he said, when I was younger, I looked at all the 35-year-olds and I thought they had it all sorted out. They knew what yeah. life was about and where things were going. And I'm 35 now and I don't have a bloody clue. I feel like I'm just uh, winging it like I did when I was 18. Yeah. How's your feeling about that? Do you feel like you, you, you've got this feeling of work out now or do you think it's still a constant iteration? Oh um yeah i mean i mean i'll answer yeah i'll answer your first i'll answer this one to be honest i i i agree with the with the kind of post of your 35 year old friend i would say that like i i do end up like finding cases where and like this is maybe for me now in in delta because of the way that the structure changes and as we grow, like I end up being slightly less involved in each startup, but I'm involved in the later stage running of a bigger company, right? So I get into the actual startup situation and because the business is built to continually improve our IP, like I'm now learning in some of the cases from some of the people who we are actually validating startups on, but I arrive at the meeting and they expect me to know the answer and I'm like, oh, well, I kick the tire and I'm like that one like whatever but like so I can see that process happening already so like I would like you know I would I would say to anyone who kind of is looking to start a startup or anything like that or you know product I would say yeah just just like one get started uh, most of the people that I hear talk about any type of startup or any idea. It's not a failure of process. It's a failure of just getting out and doing it. You don't have to like quit your job to do it. Like just go through the, go through the process. The other misconception around it is, and like this is maybe something that we've now built out in our IP, which is iterating towards building startups of higher value at lower cost and more repeatedly, right? You start seeing that the things that actually validate a startup are not expensive at all. They're not. You can totally validate and launch a startup or to the point where you're fundraising ready with like 100k less, maybe even, you know, 
And yeah. like that is really the secret. And like if you if you you know if anyone is is really smart and wants to learn how to do that, they can definitely come to Delta. <laughs> um, and then afterwards, I mean, yeah, maybe then start. I didn't even have to ask. I didn't even have to ask. Excellent! I got the plug in right there. <laughs> that one in the front as well. I'm in the middle. I'm at the back. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> But Louis, also, what I was going to say is that, you know, we spoke earlier and you said the beauty of your dad working with you, probably as a trust thing, whatever, but he was advising you saying, don't do this, don't do that. And mm. it was really interesting what you said, though, and I think you don't realize the, the relevance, but you were making mistakes and failing and you were kind of beating yourself up. And then he said to you, yeah, hey, no, so I made those mistakes, don't worry about it. It's fine. Yeah, it's like, yeah, so... It's an interesting kind of conversation. And I must say, like, I'm very privileged to be able to have that, like, kind of relationship. And, like, I'm big on working with family. Just, it depends. I guess there's certain cases where it can go poorly. But, you know, like, if your communication's up to scratch, like, it's actually such a beautiful thing. So, but, like, in the beginning, I think my dad was more involved in just telling us uh, how everything was wrong. (laughs) Which, uh, you know, is, I guess, maybe just one of those things where, like, you know, like if you come back with a maths test of 99, like it's like, what happened to the percent? You know, maybe I do, I realized later on that it was that, but you know, you know, to be able to like speak to someone who, who knows the context of what you're going through has been through it before and to be like, well, yeah, I definitely cracked that up. And then like for him to say like, oh yeah, like, I never got that right. <laughs> like, like I didn't do it right. Like at least once it's always wrong. And this is how it felt most of the time. And then you're like, Oh, okay. It's almost like I mentioned about the Santa thing. It's, it's a confidence that this is, this is not abnormal. This is okay. And like, and the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, there's so many cases in Delta where we probably shape wise in the company at the moment, I don't think we look like any other company that I know of. Like, you know, even at the size at the moment. And I think where we're going in size and what we're trying to achieve, I think we'll have so many more non, non-common non structures, you know, like we're really yeah. grappling with like designing different roles and things like that. And like, you know, how does it work and who, like it becomes kind of funny about the hats conversation. You know, we have this hats thing, like who's wearing what hat? Eventually you're wearing like six hats and you're like, we're you like, a legend. Legend had with like stickers on it. Like, <laughs> like you're currently the growth manager for this, but you're part of the department. But you like anyway. So, so I think that that's something that uh, you know I, I rely heavily on, and I think is is something everyone should try and get uh, as a as someone running a business, someone who's been there before. And it isn't the it isn't it, it's not the subject matter that's the most important advice in my opinion. Like that's it's the most it's that kind of understanding and that contextualization of like more how you're feeling about the the company because the only time i've ever seen companies fail okay maybe i guess maybe certain types of companies but startups particularly the only time i've ever seen startups fail is where people give up on it the only time like i've never seen like you will and like there's one man there's one man i know which is probably his name is Julian Teicher. He's the founder of a company called WeFox in Germany. They're like an insurtech unicorn. And when I met him, he was busy raising their like Series A round or maybe a B round. Um, and it was going to be $100 million. And some really unfortunate things went wrong <laughs> like that led to that, that round falling apart. And I literally have never met anyone who like, like I guess from a fundraising perspective, like a manifest reality like that. It was basically like, I, I was sold. They had like no money. It's like, I was sold. There's like 400 people. It's like, yeah, I'll get it. And eventually you get like 5 million euros here and then there. And they've just raised, I think, 700 million on a Series B, like worth like three and a half billion. And like, realistically, it's stuff like that that like just shows you like it's the difference between you believing it or not that will tank the business. And like, that's something, you know, that I think it comes more into mindset and a mentor around mindset really than any, you, know, you can Google the rest of the stuff, man. Yeah, it's funny because I actually got on a piece of paper here, that question. I think when we first started speaking, the first thing I wrote down when I spoke to you now was mindset you need, the mindset you need. Um, so it's like that give it and don't give in. Um, no matter what happens against you, be positive. Or like, it's okay to fail. These things are going to happen. 
take it in your stride and this is your chance to show your your worth sort of thing yeah the, the, the being okay to fail one is a is a is a is a big one as well and it's also just when it becomes too much like just pour yourself a glass of wine and watch tv <laughs> like like that's that's my main recommendation that one if you take anything from me <laughs> I've done it a couple of times for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things I want to talk about because you are a technology company actually, and you know, you're building products and you're growing at such a fast rate and you're using these innovative ways to hire the right people. And, and the, I think the problem I'm going to get when I ask you this question is you're going to talk around some of your products, right? But it's not a problem, but I suppose what technologies are you finding really works and helps you? So we've started using something like Basecamp recently. So my, my sister's working for a startup in the UK. She's like, you've got to try Basecamp. So like, okay, I'm all over it as I am. Um, but are, are there any, are there any page for you that you sort of, any technology stacks that you're sort of using? Or I saw you building your own stuff. So I've seen like you've got a subscription driver that you've built now. You've got a health app you've sort of done. So you've got some really cool yeah. stuff that you're building, right? Yeah, so I think I would differentiate uh, into this into two areas. There's, there's the ventures that we build and the products that we use to kind of like build them. So that's more like a development technology kind of conversation, right? But it all kind of blends in because at the end of the day, you've got operational software, which is like your software service tools. We're at Basecamp, we used that probably about a year and a half ago and we moved off it. Um, because it what do you want now? <laughs> so now we're on a combination of Jira, something called retool right. which is uh so jira is more the software development side like the scrum yeah. kind of life cycle stuff the agile yeah. life cycle then we yeah. use retool internally so retool is a low code platform which i would highly highly recommend people have a look at uh yeah. particularly if you speak to our ceo alex like she is a like a convert of node and we we effectively build out pretty much any tooling that we need inside the business on retool or a combination of retool and basically just a large database we call Delta finance. Um, and effectively with that, I don't think we would be able to be as competitive or scale as quickly if we were using only off the shelf solutions, because in reality, what you've got with us is you've got a very non-standard business model. We've got a very non-standard type of product we work on where our value proposition is a venture doing well, which means you're effectively doing everything. So we actually resemble more of a, a very hands-on portfolio management area of like a VC than anything else really. So if you look at what that we use with that is we're trying to find ways to connect the different information points or disparities between people who are running this process and automate as much as we can. So the goal for us actually is to use something like a retool to continuously improve basically the data model around a venture. So we've got something called a, a venture base, which contains venture genomes. And the genome is effectively a data representation of a startup. And this startup then obviously contains your value proposition, your customer segments, your those things. So the rest of the business basically reads this genome and basically ticks off certain things like does this or doesn't do that, or this department can or can't do that. And our goal is effectively to start building different internal tooling, which we've started already with things like a venture pad, which is a tool that helps manage like large scales of research, like raw research, and lets you compound that value over time so that when you actually are testing a value proposition, you know which customers have which pain points and you're building this data set. So we link that into this data model. And effectively, as we go, we're, we're automating different parts. Eventually, within a year, we're effectively going to be part man, part machine. And most of these ventures are actually going to be validated as like a model or almost like a, so we're effectively training the model to do parts of this for us. So that's how we're going to try and achieve that. And retool, if we didn't have retool, it wouldn't be a possibility. Um, other ones you could check out as well, um, which I think we've gone through. There's one that I would recommend to anyone to have a look at. It's called AppSheets. And I guess this forms part of a certain kind of trend, which is like a low or no code kind of trend, right? Uh, where at Delta, what we're busy trying to figure out at the moment is like, is how do we continually kind of use the perfect tool for that job? So when we're actually validating, there's no budget. So we're using low code tools to effectively get that valid, that evidence level. When we're building properly, we go into your main stacks like .NET, those kind of things. 
Um, but like, it's really about like unearthing those tools and there's a bunch of them. We actually had a post on LinkedIn, if you guys want to look at it, where okay. basically put a bunch of, sorry, sorry, uh, yeah. we basically put a bunch of tools in a, in a post for like remote working and things and people can have a look at that. Uh, it's actually cool. pretty, pretty extensive. I know we're going to tie things up because you're a busy man and you've got places to go. What, what I was going to ask you though, is we talked about how you came back to South Africa, you went to Berlin, you came back. With the, with the things that's happening in the country at the moment, you know, I speak to a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people were sort of like frightened, anxious, scared, looking to leave. I don't get that sense from you. I get that sense that you see it as more of an opportunity than ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, I must say that I, I, do, I do love South Africa. I love Cape Town. It's like a lovely place to live, really. And I think where we maybe, where my viewpoint differs is from a venture building perspective and like obviously we've got we've got presence in kind of switzerland germany but i would still choose to live here mm. predominantly just because like i actually think that the world is is globalizing so fast particularly from a knowledge economy that mm. like being here or being in berlin is a very very tiny difference like there's almost no, there's no difference there's actually zero difference and for us, as long as you can start building out your capability around the ventures you're launching, having kind of global impact and being able to like play on a global field. So a lot of our like European ventures, things like Priv, which is like a data privacy compliance management system, which, you know, effectively is in use by like large enterprises, but like, you know, they like that's based on GDPR because we have to kind of know that area because of the European side, but could us just easily be, you know, based on Poppy. Um, and effectively is something we're doing. And as long as you've got your kind of, as long as you've got a good understanding of effectively one, how to build a product, how to internationalize it, the different customer segments in different countries, and effectively then how to raise funding from different funding sources, either internationally or locally, then basically you have, you have like no reason why you actually need to be anywhere else. No. I think I think that's actually the the crusp of like our conversation the first time we spoke was that it's struggling to get capital in South Africa and we were talking around why and why companies struggling to raise money here and and your your thinking was well they're not building products for international markets they're not actually building for a bigger market so therefore their price that they can gain or the community they can reach is really small. They're actually cupping their own growth in the biggest in in a startup or well, the strategy start of things. Yeah, so so true. And I think that that's something that really clicks when you've got a view of how if you could like if you could build ten ventures a quarter, and you had a and you had a a reasonable success rate. Like let's say you had a fifty percent success rate, right? Um, and you did that every single quarter. If you sat back and that was just happening, and you then asked yourself okay, how do I maximize the value of the ventures we're building? The only answer you would have is effectively to look for a bigger market or, or a larger kind of pain point, right? So a lot of people in the usual kind of venture space or in the startup space or like wild founders, like I mentioned earlier, are like attached to the problem that they want to solve because it, it was proximal to when they decided to start a startup. You're like, I'm going to start something that helps people dispose of bottles from like whatever. Like the perfect example is apps that try to solve parking issues in a particular city. You want to work as hard to launch that as you're going to work to launch a software as a service billing assistance tool for SMEs globally in different languages. Like, yeah. like the thing is, the one market is a trillion times bigger than the other market. And effectively, like that kind of, that kind of viewpoint is a very is one of the things, as I mentioned, that holds South African entrepreneurs back because your your context is so local and your viewpoint of what is a successful startup is based upon some of the startups that are successful here. And most of those startups are only really successful. Well, not most of them, but like, it's really difficult in a market as small as South Africa, right? Depending on what customer segment you're serving, it's incredibly difficult for you to actually raise the amount of funding you need to compete with a corporate because corporates are so well entrenched they've got massive massive amounts of capital and if you look at like europe or like let's look at SA. 
there's not a big enough market for you to scale into quickly enough as a startup competing with a corporate, especially in financial services or anything, because no one's going to give you the amount of money you need to accelerate like that because the market's too small. So any startup in South Africa to raise like 500 million rand, right, which is not a big raise for like international, unless you, you know, like, if you've got a South African focus, right, particularly financial services because you're limited by regulation, right, the return on investment of 500 million rand is never going to make sense. Like no one will, you will net, like a, a VC, like look at it and be like, okay, at, if you do everything you say on the business plan and the graph does what it does, which it never does, like then we will make our money back, right? But it doesn't, okay? So the real thing is actually like looking in Europe and you realize, okay, cool. The reason why people can raise a $300 million round or 300 million euro round to compete with a corporate or an incumbent is because the market is big enough for you to run and gain market share so that you can compete. In SA, the pond is just not big enough. So if you're looking to start something at like uh, at this particular point, what I would recommend is effectively pick a massive international market Regardless of how difficult it is, is you're going to have the same problems. Just pick a massive international market and work towards that because it will indicate your ability to raise. And a good example locally of, of a company like that is Aerobotics. So Aerobotics yeah. is, is what, like obviously like from a raise perspective, you know, is able to command like valuations that make sense from hundreds of millions of rand only because they can, they can address an international market with a scalable product, which they can build here. There are very few companies in SA that have got that right. You know, I mean, you've got a, what, um, Get Smarter did that. Um, Yoko just did it. Yeah, no, Yoko is working on that um, from an African perspective. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's like a principle. And you see that when you start trying to pick your winners before you try and validate them, if you know what I mean, which is something mm -hmm. we're kind of trying to do at the moment. <laughs> I, I heard that other thing is to go for a big market and go for a niche within that big market because it's still big enough but on a global way. Yeah. But I mean, we're, we're running out of time. And what I wanted to know from you is you look so chilled and relaxed and like, whatever. What do you do outside of work to to chill? Like your mountain bike running, you know, running or what, you know, what, what, what are you doing? Are you reading a lot? Um, so yeah, I do lots of stuff outside of work. Lots. Yeah. That's why you love Cape Town. I do lots, lots, and lots of stuff. Tons of it. Yeah. Tons. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> All of the things I do, the things. No, um, yeah, you know, I do. I enjoy. I enjoy working, and it's, to me, it's not working. It's like a, a, a it's, a, it's like a hobby. Like I use, I say, like a certain amount of my job is actually a hobby. But if I do get time to kind of blow off steam, um, I do like to. I do like food. I like good food. I like. Um, I like reading the art. Like. I would say I'm probably not on the list of those like those CEOs that are trying to read like a whole bunch of books every single year at the moment. Maybe that's just a time thing. But yeah, from, from my side, I, you know, I like wine. I really like wine. <laughs> As you can wine see, I, sale and Paul, uh, I need to, I need to effectively work on my, my, like my adeptness at answering things that aren't related to work. Because <laughs> I'm like, not much. <laughs> You're focused. That's what you're saying here, I'm focused. I'm not distracted at all. <laughs> Let's just rewind that. No. <laughs> I'm too focused for such frivolities. I'm kidding. No. <laughs> like, no, yeah. Like, I think it's wine, hanging out with some friends, watching some Netflix, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Sick. It was so cool to have this podcast. We're going to have another one, I'm sure. Thanks, and we're so. going to invite you to Africa Tech Week as well, because we want to get you helping these other entrepreneurs. It was, it was really insightful to speak to you. And I think um, last time we spoke, just that one idea I got from you about thinking internationally and not locally. I suppose the other thing, like to start off an investment is like a hundred grand. How much is it for a corporate if they want to do work with you? Yeah, um, well, I mean, obviously the, the cheapest way that any corporate can work with us is where we invest the money, but you know, then effectively we'll, we're happy to do that and work with them. And effectively that's us kicking off it's almost like corporates are looking for startups to partner with. So instead yeah. of astronomical odds of finding a startup that, that the maturity to work with you that is able to partner with you and does want to and isn't going to get really pissed off when you don't reply to them for two months, like we can effectively start that startup and within three months it can be like a, a thing that you can partner with, right? If, if you want us to like kind of get involved at like a validation or like an uh, innovation level, 
you can get a venture to validate it and like perhaps at a low code to market like 250, 300 kind of a thing. But mm -hmm. the high recommendation is to do volume because you never really know. So it's about running five or six or seven streams at the same time and building that capability. It's never, it's actually never about the individual ideas. Like if you start talking about those, it's a slippery slope because everyone's just got an opinion. And the only opinion that matters realistically is the customers and if they'll buy it or not. <laughs> so, yeah. For sure. It was really great talking to you. Um, yeah. Don't be hung up on one idea. I think that's what you're saying. And let the market dictate. Yeah. The idea is no CEO anymore is right. The customer's always right when they vote with their dollar. Yeah. Well, I mean, coming from a CEO, it's, uh, it's, uh, I sometimes feel like you're usually wrong. <laughs> but they just say it with confidence and it works. You're like, this is the right art, but you know, anyway. Yeah. yeah, let's let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Thanks. Cool man. It was it was awesome doing this with you and we're gonna catch up soon. Yeah. Over some wine. Ah, it's a bit early, but yes. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thanks. Just